and welcome to the NTD Leadership Podcast. This is a resource from and for those of us serving Jesus with the North Texas District of the Assemblies of God. Merry Christmas, everyone. Hope the month is going good for you so far. I'm living in great anticipation because I am one of those people, both for, of course, the most important thing, the birth of Christ and everything that that means for us as his church and preparing our people to celebrate the Advent. And I also just love the home stuff that comes with this time of year. I love the music. I love the trees. I love all the decoration. And I try to get the party started as early as my more realistic wife will allow me to do. My oldest daughter is actually very much my daughter. And so we're having this conversation in my kitchen the other day. And she says, Daddy, how come some people don't start listening to Christmas music until after Thanksgiving? I said, well, honey, some people just really think that you should wait until even kind of December to start putting up trees and listening to music and all those kind of things. And she goes, but Daddy, that's so last minute. I said, baby, I know. I know. And so whether you're a Scrooge that likes to do that or you're someone more holy like me, Merry Christmas to you. You know, tonight my family and I were going to our church volunteer party at a life church in Midlothian. And my wife and I are life group leaders for our church. We love it. We're so looking forward to that. And we're so proud to serve our pastors and their staff. And speaking of that, we're interviewing one of my staff pastors this week. Corey Webb is the youth pastor at Life Church, and we have a great interview with him today to talk about young students and mature faith. And to stay in this vein of student things, for our NTD family win of the week, I actually want us to celebrate the class of students that's walking the stage today. In fact, a few hours away as I'm recording this at Southwestern Assemblies of God University receiving their degrees, hundreds of students today, to celebrate their preparation for ministry or the marketplace. And so Southwestern President Bridges, we're happy for you guys. Thank you for an entire faculty. A wonderful professor, uh, Dr. Peter Reynolds at SAGU, attends my home group. And so love him and his wife, Melinda. And those of you who are working out there at Southwestern, you know, so many North Texas district people, ministers and churches support that university. So many of my friends have graduated from there and we're just grateful for what you're doing. So thank you for continuing to prepare the next generation of leaders for our fellowship. It's a worthy thing and uh, would ask uh, those of us listening to never stop praying for and supporting Southwestern Assemblies of God University. So listen, if you have a win that you'd like us to celebrate here on the podcast, you want to talk good about someone behind their back, and then I can talk good about them to everyone here on the podcast. Whether this is in the uh, worldwide mission field or local church setting, senior pastor or youth pastor or children's pastor victory, it's all kingdom work and it all matters and I want to tell your stories here on the show and so if you have something you'd like me to share email me podcast at northtexas.ag that's podcast at northtexas all spelled out dot ag let's go to my interview with Corey Webb today we're going to talk about student ministry and and building a faith that can handle challenges into our young men and women while they are young men and women before they leave our church going through junior high through high school and out into college or out into the workplace. Corey Webb and his wife Devin are doing an incredible job with the youth ministry at our home church and I thought it'd be worth talking to you today. So here's my interview with Corey Webb. Well, one thing all of us as ministers know is that 
if we can win a young heart for Jesus, then we can save that young man or woman just years and years of grief. Um, Working in the college mission field for years, one of the things that we see are Christian students that come to campus on varying ends of the spectrum in terms of preparation. And so we all know the scary statistics of numbers that walk away from faith, but that's not the only picture of, of what happens with a student. I've seen some students come into college adequately prepared with a really vibrant faith that they have an opportunity to build on and own. And I think we'd all agree that in our churches, that's what we're seeking to do. And so today I'm here with Corey Webb. Uh, Corey is one of our North Texas District youth pastors at Life Church in Midlothian, uh, serving actually with Presbyter Jason Exley. So how you doing, sir? And good job. And uh, Corey and his bride, Devin, they've been in it for a little while now. New dad. Yes. Corey, welcome to the show. Thanks, man. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. So, man, tell us a little bit about yourself and your ministry journey so far. Uh, Yeah, so uh, I went to SAGU out of the Arkansas District of the Assemblies of God. The goo. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I graduated and got married to my wife. We've been married for almost three years. Mm -hmm. Just welcomed a beautiful baby girl, Addison Jane, uh, five weeks ago. So that's life-changing. But I... uh, as soon as I graduated from SAGU, I took the job at Life Church in Midlothian. I graduated on a Friday. My first day in the office was Monday, and that's where I've been for three and a half years. So this is our first home in ministry. We love it. That's a good deal. Speaking of new children, I don't see any bags under your eyes. You're remarkably alert. Have you not suffered the price? Well, honestly, we don't we don't tell uh, newborn parents this, but she's a really good sleeper. Like wow. every night she goes to bed between 12 and 12:30, and every morning she wakes up between 7 and 8, and she hasn't woken up in the middle of the night a single time. So, I feel the need to apologize for that almost. Well, I I would say you're doing well just by not thinking that you're a better parent than everyone else because you were (laughs) blessed with such a thing. Yeah, well, and everyone tells me just wait a few months because usually things go backwards. So we're we're prepared for that, but we're enjoying it while we can. Man, there are things you can do to affect it, but you're recognizing the blessing you've been given (laughs) and that she slept through the night right out of the shoot, man. So that's good. So listen, we're talking about your passion you know, youth ministry. And so youth ministry, one of the things that I've seen is that it's sometimes characterized as infotainment, Mm -hmm. that you want to give a little bit of Jesus, but for the most part, you just got to keep them laughing and having fun because if you make them think too hard Mm. or you expect too much of them, they won't come. So before we drill down on apologetic thoughts specifically, you know, share your heart for youth ministry in general. Why do you love it so much? And why would you say it's more than fun and games? Yeah, well, You mentioned earlier the statistics that we probably all have heard. Uh, The Barna Group did a study that said 80% of students that were churched in high school uh, were not active in their faith by the age of 29. And I think about that all the time. That breaks my heart and it frustrates me. So one of my goals in youth ministry is to, you know, reverse the statistics a little bit and I see it as an opportunity to see kids grow in their faith. So what we try and do in youth ministry is just reframe how we view success. Because at the end of the day, if we have 200 students in our youth ministry, but within 10 years, 160 of them have walked away from the Lord, then I'm just convinced all we're doing is failing on a larger scale. And I don't want to do that. 
So I don't, I don't want to just create youth group superstars. I don't want to create a bunch of kids who know the right time to raise their hands in the song or just, you know, put butts in seats or anything like that. I, I tell our kids every single week from the stage, my goal is to be able to call you in 30 years and hear about how you're still following Jesus, leading your family closer to Jesus, plugged into a local church, and you have people behind you following Jesus as well. So we mm. won't know what success is for years down the road, I think. So that takes something different than perhaps a common approach. I'm sure a lot of your weekly operation would be familiar to any of us who are in youth ministry or have done youth ministry before. But what we're going to drill down on some today is that you've come to some conclusions about young people and this notion of of apologetics, which means, of course, being able to give a defense for the hope you have, being able to think hard about, about God and the things of God. Why do you see a need to integrate that type of thought into youth ministry? Yeah, I mean, for some of the statistics I just mentioned, honestly, like kids are walking away and I don't think there's any one reason, but I think one of the causes would be that they walk into college and so much of what we've taught them is be a good kid, don't say cuss words, say you believe in God, don't have sex before you're married, and you're good. And then we send them into... This is the kingdom, my son. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then we send them into you know philosophy 101 or intro to world religions. And I think kids have honest questions in high school. And if they don't, they probably surely do mm-hmm. after classes like that. And I just think the church shouldn't be a place where those questions are suppressed or ignored or swept under the rug. I, I think like I think there are answers to these questions. Like there's good reason for what we believe. Uh so let's let's work to provide coherent, thoughtful answers to these questions for these kids so that they can grow their faith even in college. You know, one of the things I heard a professor lecturing once say if you're youth age, you're a young teenager in the church and you love sports, we will build you a gym to give you a place to play and be around mm-hmm. other Christians. And we'll go to such lengths to do some of those things that I'm not saying are bad things. He said, but if you're a young man or woman wired a bit skeptically and you ask difficult questions, sometimes in the church we'll say, don't ask stuff like that and we'll try to sort of shut you up. Um, That's a little bothersome, I think, because it leaves out a young man and a young woman who are wired differently, and not everyone is wired the same. Right, and that's, I think, honestly, man, so much of what happens is kids have honest questions while they're in high school, and then they go to college, and they, they want to follow Jesus, so they, for some reason or another, they think that they should just ignore those questions or suppress them. And then maybe they get to their college campus and then one night they're talking with their roommate or someone on campus and these questions kind of come to the surface. And then it's like, oh my gosh, you too? And so they they, they yeah. stick together, and but no one has given them thoughtful answers that, that do exist. So that's right. kind of what I think. Right. And so one of, I think, the worst things we can do is, um, I mean, it's a good service for a youth pastor who may not have all the answers just to know the questions yeah. and to be able to begin to drill down on some stuff that you'll talk about later and even just kind of learning for ourselves. But I think to not... Um, to send a student off to college and they're not even aware of the questions they're going to encounter can be so incredibly disorienting. Corey, I remember I was sitting in, um, it was the first day of a new semester and I'm sitting in a course with Dr. I won't say his name <laughs> with a, with a, with a doctor. He was my favorite professor at Angelo state university. And so one of the things that he did was he did this sort of getting to know you session in class and everybody answered a couple of questions about themselves. And one of the things that was fairly consistent, there were a good number of Christians in the class 
and a number of us mentioned how important Jesus was to our life. Big moment, right? And and I, I applaud everybody for um, the willingness to say it in that setting. But at the end of it, he said, well, I noticed a lot of you said that your belief in God is a big deal to you. I suppose if we're getting it out there, I need to tell you that I do not believe in God. He said, whenever I was young, I had a, a father who beat my mother like a drum. And one night I was hiding behind the couch and I said, God, if you're real, would you please do something? He said, God didn't do anything. I knew then that there was no God. And I think that we're all taking care of ourselves. And Mm. with that, he moved on. What he had voiced was commonly called the problem of evil, which has been being written about for centuries, but it was an entirely new thing to me, Corey. Mm. So for me, mind blown. Yep. Oh my goodness, this is my favorite professor. He's way smarter than me. And he just asked me a question I've never heard preached about before. What do I do? So how does this look to incorporate some of this into your ministry? Give us a maybe an example of some specific ways that you've brought this apologetic thought or tried to tackle some of these difficult questions in the context of, of ministry. Yeah, so we've never done like a sermon series where we just walk through big questions, you know, like the reliability of the Bible, the resurrection, the problem of evil, all that kind of stuff. We probably will one day, but for me, it's just, I think there are specific moments in just the way we preach on a week-to-week basis. So two points in my messages that seem to be natural points to just kind of throw in a little bit are, number one, when I tell students to open their Bibles to a certain point, that just is a natural place for me to give a little bit of like, why should I trust the Bible? Why do, It's no longer okay to just say, but the Bible tells me so, I don't think, at least mm. not in some places in our culture. So there's a little place. And then also I try when I give a response at the end of my message, that's a great time for me to talk about the resurrection. Because like Paul says yeah. in 1 Corinthians 15, if if this isn't true, then we're wasting our time. And that's that's heavy, you know, like especially for someone who gets paid to do it. I try and talk about in in my response times like, hey, if Jesus rose from the dead, then like the old song says, it demands my life or my heart, my life, my all. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's why I respond, not just because this person gave a compelling talk, but because Jesus rose from the dead. So what about my life needs to line up with that? That's so good. So. You mentioned an old song. I asked me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. I heard a minister quote that at one point, and then he reminded us, he says, but he lives in our hearts because he lived in history first. Yeah. And we bank on him because we know he was resurrected from the dead. So you would say, by and large, you sprinkle bits of apologetic thought into messages and Mm -hmm. opportunities that you have to speak with students. Yeah, and there are natural times throughout the year, too, like Easter, obviously, I try and talk about the resurrection in a, like, in a historical way. So, you know, using, like, what Gary Habermas has done and stuff like that, but times where instead of just talking about, like, a normal message or what you would normally talk about, talk about, did Jesus really rise from the dead? Like, ask the question that needs to be asked. Did he really? Like, can, is there reason to believe this? This isn't a fool's game. Like, intelligent people believe this and there are good reasons to believe it. Yeah. And if you're going to believe that someone rose from the dead, there should be some good, some good reasons. (laughs) So you, you mentioned Gary Habermas specifically. Is he the guy, I believe he's famous for what he calls a a minimal facts approach. So the minimal facts approach with Habermas is basically he takes, 
he takes all the facts that even the most skeptical scholars would agree on. Okay, so Jesus lived. I mean, there's like the weird way out there, Jesus mythicism stuff, but the majority of people believe Jesus lived on earth, okay? And then Jesus died on a cross. The tomb was empty. A bunch of people claimed to have seen him weeks after that, and the disciples devoted their lives to the point of death after that. All these facts, none of them says Jesus rose from the dead, but when you take all of them together, what's the most plausible explanation? And if you're going to give an explanation other than the resurrection, you've kind of got to piece together two or three different ones to account for all the different facts that really did happen no matter what. Yeah. So tell us about, Corey, give us a particular story of an opportunity of ministry with a particular person where you brought some of these things into conversation and ministry and you saw the light come on in a way that might not have come on otherwise. Yeah. So there's a guy um, who had never been to church in his life before he came to Life Church. Mm. So he is as unchurched as unchurched can get. Um, no background in any of this, and he's very intelligent, very smart guy. Mm-hmm. And he starts coming to Life Church and starts to like, he's enjoying it and he has all these questions. So finally, I asked him if he wanted to go to dinner. We're sitting at dinner, and he, like, as soon as we sit down, he starts just asking me all these questions. And I, and I said, Stop for just a second. Before we get to these questions, just as a, as a foundation, would you say you're a Christian and you just want to know more or are you like you're struggling to believe this or where are you at? And he said, you know, he said, I, (laughs) I believe that Jesus lived on earth and he died on a cross and I believe he rose from the dead. I believe he was God. He's like, but I like, I don't know what to do now to be a Christian. What do I have to do? (laughs) And I was like, I think you're good, man. (laughs) I think you got it. So he just asked me question after question for two and a half hours. Long story short, I got to baptize him a couple months later, mm-hmm. and then we kept going to dinner a couple times, and then the last time we went to dinner, he's asking me more questions and more questions, and then he said, hey, we did a series at church about missions, and every message I felt like I was walking in halfway through. He said, I don't understand. Why do we send people to just go live as Christians overseas? Like, why, why do we do that? He thought we were just sending them as their own little community over there, just them. So I explained like, you know, the urgency of missions, why we go, why we do what we do. Yeah. And it was, I mean, it was a moment where things clicked and he said, so he, and this, his exact words, he said, why do we not send more people? Like, why would more people not want to go with all of that on the line? And I was wow. like, exactly. So just having the, I don't know, just the baseline knowledge to be able to dialogue back and forth with some really hard questions and not even know all the answers, but just have at least an idea of where to point him to find good answers and walk with him through it. And then your faith is only built up more whenever you see the light coming on in somebody, but your ability to dialogue grows also as you have to go and explore things and think of how could I have answered that better or whenever I meet the next young man or young woman who is struggling with some of these same questions. So, Corey, there's a youth pastor listening, you know, who who is wondering, man, where do I even start? I'm probably not going to go back into seminary or get an apologetics degree or something like that. What would be some resources or some direction that you would give to the minister who might be thinking, how do I incorporate this stuff? How do I learn this stuff? And how do I incorporate it into ministry? Yeah, I mean, 
There are books and podcasts and videos, and Reasonable Faith with William Lane Craig is a great one. Uh, For the resurrection, I would look at Gary Habermas. That's Mm H-A-B-E-R-M-A-S. He has several books and a website and teachings and podcasts, all kind of stuff. Uh, J.P. Moreland is a good one. J. Warner Wallace has has apologetics that are really good and easy to understand. He calls it cold case Christianity, stuff Mm -hmm. like that. Uh, Sean McDowell, Nabil Qureshi is a good one. Just all kinds of stuff. You can get on YouTube. You can open your podcast app. There's William Lane Craig has several podcasts that are great. Uh, so yeah, there's always a place to start if you're just willing to look. Corey, thanks for being with us today, man. Thank you very much for having me. It was fun. Thank you for serving uh, the youth of North Texas in Midlothian, Texas. We appreciate you. Glad to do it, man. Hope we're here for a while. Listen, friends, whether you're a pastor in Paris, Texas, or a missionary in Paraguay, uh, thank you for being part of the North Texas District, uh, this ministry family, and for serving Jesus and establishing His bride, the local church.